Today's guest, Linda Meredith, is a complex trauma recovery coach, and she's sharing how her trauma led her to a season of total incapacitation that lasted for over two years. She's also going to share how she found her way through it, the work she does helping others find freedom, and more. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show. This is episode 138. We're your hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. Hey. Hey, this is the first time I've been on the microphone in like two weeks because of the... uh, Is it? What, bubonic plague that we have in our house? (laughs) Well, seriously. I think you might be playing it up a little bit. Well, no. I've had this crazy cough and laryngitis, so I apologize for that. But seriously, I have not been... Back it up, back it up. Stop apologizing, girl. All right. I'm owning my sexy voice today. You like it? Yeah. Is it turning you on? A little. Do we need to... You caught me in the middle of a sip of coffee there. Oh, geez. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Um, I wanted to share something new that we have um, on our website. You can hit up the seven secrets of a legendary marriage. Yeah. It's an awesome resource. You and your spouse will definitely want to uh, grab that free resource. So hit up legendarymarriage.com slash... Seven secrets. Thank you, honey. I was... Number seven. Secrets. I was seeing if you were like on the same wavelength with me. Yeah. Are you? I mean, kind of. Okay. (laughs) It's early. We're in the same frequency band. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. Well, today we have on the show, (laughs) Linda Meredith. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the most lighthearted show. No. We go super deep on this show, um, talking about uh, things from childhood that can trigger you and even... Um, her life of being incapacitated for two years. It's a crazy story. But now she's um, living in the world of remission and she is helping others do the same with some fascinating things about breath work and yoga. We talk about that kind of thing. So I can't wait to get to it. um, It's an interesting topic to do on on a marriage podcast to talk about trauma. And we've, this isn't the first time we've talked about sexual trauma way back when we had Chris on and talking about well, that. Well, I think the interesting thing is the triggering too. Yeah. Because it's like when I start to like lose it and it seems like it just comes out of nowhere for like mm-hmm. no reason, there's usually something behind the thing behind yes. the thing. Yes. And so many conflicts that couples that we work with. Uh, so many of their conflicts start with someone being triggered about something that has nothing to do with the marriage. Mm. Like people blame the marriage as the the problem, but it, it it's not that there's a problem. It's that there's unresolved trauma in in their life, and trauma doesn't have to be what I call I, I lovingly call high drama trauma. Right? It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. I was kidnapped and 
yeah. held by Somali pirates. Right. It's it's actually, and what Linda's talking about today, and we'll get into the interview here in just a second, is is complex trauma. It's more the instead of one uh, one experience that has traumatized someone, it's a thousand little paper cuts. Yeah. It's it's little things, patterns that uh, have been ingrained in us that that we don't even know are operating and sabotaging our lives. It's fascinating. All right, so hey, let's get to our conversation right here with Linda Meredith. We are so happy to have Linda Meredith on the show today. She is a certified trauma recovery coach, and she has quite the story of how she has gone through complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And she not only is in recovery, but she is in remission. And she just loves to help people move past that, move through that recovery stage and fully into remission so that they don't have any more of the symptoms of PTSD. And she is so lovely to share her story with us today. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you. Welcome. Hi. All the way from Australia. That's right. That's right. She is in Australia. We are 15 hours apart apart right now. Yes, she is. You're like galactic time travelers right now. I know. I love it. Texas, Australia. It's just blowing everybody's I am so excited for this conversation because uh, a couple weeks ago, like we were, Danielle and I were talking uh, on one of our like walk and talk things mm-hmm. down on the trail behind our house. And uh, we were just, we started talking about like, I feel like we've got, we've gone through a lot of stress and, and, you know, I'd call it micro trauma, like just traumas of, yeah. of life. Like, yeah. and so we started talking about that and like, okay, we need to f- kind of figure out how do we move? How do we like really, I think what we do is we just kind of tend to go, eh, okay, and moving right along and just kind of like try to like kick some dirt over it and keep walking. Sure, <laughs> sure. And we were like, we got to figure this out because I think there's some stuff holding us back in our relationship, in, in our, with our kids, in, in life. And yeah. so this whole idea of talking to some, some folks about, about trauma kind of came out of it. And so we got connected with Linda and and I'm so excited to to just see where this conversation goes. So thanks uh, Linda for joining us. Yeah, and Linda, I want to hear some of your story, get to know you a little bit better. Um what was what was Linda like as a child? What was your childhood like? Oh, uh, pretty normal on the outside. So, you know, well, normal for uh, you know, a fifth generational Australian where, you know, we had, we used to live in smaller communities, uh, you know, we had the family around where, you know, the grandparents would be there to look after you and growing up that that was a consistent in our lives that there was family around. But for me personally, the hindsight was that I was very quiet, very serious uh, I um, was always somebody who sat and observed the world and people and looked at people and I read a lot. Oh, my goodness. I used to live at the library. Even, even in high school, I'd walk to the library, the local library, and because uh, we didn't have internet, things like that. I mean, it sounds like forever ago, but it's still only in a lifetime. 
No, we remember uh, that world with yeah. no internet. <laughs> yeah. I remember getting my first email address when we went to college and we yeah. were like, wait, what's email now? Like I, I Tell, didn't. Telnet? I, yeah. Remember the Telnet thing? I didn't exactly remember. I didn't understand really what email was. I just oh knew gosh. like jokes came into like this box. <laughs> and, like you looked at it and then you laughed and then you left the computer lab. That's about what I knew about the internet. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, I only had one younger brother who was 13 months younger than me. So we spent a lot of time, you know, doing all the things that kids do, playing together, you know, playing Legos and Barbies and cars and all sorts of things out in the dirt and out in the, you know, bush down the creek with all the local kids, things like that. Uh, My mum was a single mum for a considerable amount of my life, younger life. And, uh, and then as I was growing up, I played sport a lot. So I played softball, men's baseball, because yeah. we don't have enough population like you do to have things like um, teams that play every day of the week. We, it just doesn't happen here. Yeah. But we're mad sports fanatics, trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know, and then I went on to, um, you know, just have a normal office job, things like that until I got married. Yeah. So you got, so you got married at, um, a younger age and then how did things start to shift for you? Cause I know you have a story about how you have this version of PTSD. Like mm. when did that kind of thing start to show up in your life. It first showed up after I had my first child. So it took me five months and he's now 26, I think. Uh, I always get confused. He's 26 and the first time any of it showed up like that I needed to go and talk to somebody was five months after he was born and I had um, postnatal depression. And when I went to my doctor and I said, sat down and said, oh, I've got postnatal depression, he looked at me and he said, what? No, not you. And that's because I've been a strong person all my life. I manage things well. Um, I've been quietly confident. So I'm not a confident person that goes out and, you know, runs the world. I'm just quietly confident in that I can do things. So that was a bit of a shock. But prior to that, I'd already been searching for answers uh, because I I had that emptiness inside of me and I wanted answers. And that was actually um, prior to that, uh, that I started seeking answers greater than what I knew. So we didn't grow up a Christian family at all. So I just happened to one day be standing in my kitchen and saying, there's got to be more to life than this. What is it? And I was addressing God, the creator, because that's all I had a belief in at that time. And I heard the words, listen to your thoughts. And I went, huh? (laughs) Because I knew that it wasn't me thinking that. And so that began my own personal relationship with the Lord over many years. So then I went on to have another two children, I didn't have the postnatal depression because I kept working on the inside of me. So my internal dialogue, uh, what was happening for me and unpacking that. Mm. 
for when you say postnatal depression, like yeah. I know, I feel like this is coming more to the forefront now and people talk about it a bit more mm. than what they used to. Like you said, your doctor was like even shocked. It sounded like he didn't even, he was like even trying to tell you you didn't have it or something because you know, that's not how people like you act or something, which I'm yeah. sure was oh, absolutely. to you. <laughs> what, uh, what, what were the signs for you that you knew that you just had it? Uh, I had no control over my emotions. So my whole being, I would just, I, I had so much deep pressure inside of me and I just wanted to cry all the time and we were actually in a very pressurised situation at that stage because my mum, her husband and their two kids were living with us whilst they built their home. So the increased amount of stress actually triggered me and I didn't know. So I couldn't get my brain back on track. You know, I didn't have any of this language at the time either. And when I told my mum, because with mum living with us, and my mum wasn't an emotional person, I said to her mum, you know, I've got postnatal depression. And she said, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. So there was no, I had, I couldn't get up easily and do the daily routine as a young mum either. So being able to put things in order, like you know how you have a daily routine and you put things in an order that you want to get done? I couldn't do that either. And that's very prevalent. That's one of the things when our brain's offline, as they say, uh, the experts say, call it offline, when it's triggered and our amygdala and prefrontal cortex aren't connected via the limbic system, it's impossible to put things in an order. But again, this is 26 years ago and we didn't know that. So you get treated for the postnatal depression. Wow. I mean, so you would go through the day and you wouldn't know to like, you know, get up and eat breakfast and take a shower and do all that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, you would try, you wouldn't, you know that you need to be doing these things, but as hard as you would try, you couldn't get your whole physiological being into gear to make that happen. And it's all driven from the brain. Wow. Now we know. Now we know it's driven from the neurological responses that are happen, happening in the brain that's formed during our childhood. Now you said that with your next two children, you did yes. not experience that because you were doing some work um, to kind of guard against it, it sounds like. Yeah. And then when was the next time you thought, hey, there's something going on again? Um, that was when my first marriage was not going so well and the anxiety came back. So it wasn't postnatal depression this time. It was anxiety. So I had to go to my doctor and explain that things were really rough and that I was having anxiety to the point where the anxiety attacks resembled mini epileptic seizures, but I knew that it wasn't epilepsy. So my whole body would shake with the anxiety attack. 
And now we know that when you get triggered and you go into hyper or hypoarousal, you can go into the free state so deeply that, you know, you are literally frozen and not breathing and that explains why I was shaking. Wow. I would so the anxiety was that triggered by something or that was just something that goes on in your body and every once in a while it surfaces. Now I know that it was being triggered by events at the time. So there were a number of events that happened at the time and a number of stresses. So I had my own business with a business partner and that was very challenging. I had three kids. Uh, My then husband was going through cancer, had been given six months to live. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was, and I was just trying to hold everyone and everything together. Yeah. trying to manage that. And, of course, that's brain overload when you've got undiagnosed complex PTSD. But, again, back then we didn't know this information. What is complex PTSD for our listeners? I'm, I'm not, I've heard of PTSD before, but I've never heard of this version of it. Okay, so complex PTSD develops in our childhood. It's exposure and repeated uh, interpersonal abuse or trauma as a childhood, as in our childhood, literally. And what happens is, whether it's physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, bullying, sex trafficking, the brain develops differently. So if you haven't experienced trauma in your childhood and you're an adult now, you'll know it because when challenges come, your first thought is, This is manageable. Whatever problems come across your path, you go, I can manage this. And that response comes from deep in the brain, right back in the back here. I know you can't see me, but right back in the deepest part of our brain, which is what we have when we're a baby. That's that's what we've got. We know we want food, we want sleep, and we want nurturing. Okay, so it's right back there before anything else has developed. So if you have trauma in your child, repeated trauma in your childhood and neglect, I'm oh, sorry, I forgot to mention the neglect, I think, and what happens is, is that your first response when you're an adult to everything is a fear response because you haven't learned throughout your childhood how to manage things. You've had the, not had the nurturing context nurturing connection so in my life the the nurturing connection went out the door because my parents separated when I was really young about three or four and my mother was gone for four no three weeks and I can still remember standing at my grandparents door looking for my mum and so in Probably about four years after that, when my dad actually did leave, I didn't cry because my greatest fear was my mum was going to leave and I was paralysed by that fear that my mother was going to leave. So because all of this happens so young, it impacts our developing brain. So my first response to anything that comes along is fear-driven. Now, once I know that, I can go, right, my my brain in its development believes that I need to approach this with fear, 
But I, as the adult, need to now take charge and say, I can manage this. I can learn how to manage this. I may not know how to manage this situation, but I can learn. I'm capable of learning how to put different pieces of a puzzle together. I'm capable of reaching out to other adults. I'm capable of vocalising what I need right here, right now, because it's something that we don't learn in our childhood is how to have those communicative moments, especially if we've been brought up in the generations where you do as you're told and you don't ask a question. You know, no correspondence will be entered into in our relationship. And we've got to learn those things at home. And we, as adults, have to be responsible to teach our children to learn this as well. So with my three kids, they're all adults now, if ever there's a communication breakdown, we all sit down and we all go through what's happening for us, what did we perceive, et cetera, et cetera. And I have raised them to do this and they do that even when they've had other people living with them. They do that with the people around them so that it's part of a social connection that we didn't learn in our childhood. I'm wondering when did you put it together that that experience when you were three years old and waiting at your grandma's house for two weeks for your mom to come home, like when did you realize that that's affecting you as an adult? Yeah. Only in recent times. Yeah. Because... Because when we're children, we can't cope with those memories and we have no language around it. There's no, we were given no information in our childhood. So I can remember saying to my grandparents, or my nan more than anyone, when's mum coming? And there would be no response. Mm -hmm. So as a child, how can I put language around that? And what happens is because we have no language, we can't file the memories away into our hippocampus. So our amygdala, our emotional centre, it's like having little chips floating around in there that don't get filed away in the hippocampus. So in the hippocampus, it's like our filing cabinet. So if I said to you, think of a memory of the last time you were super happy and it was on a, just say, for example, you went to a theme park and you can instantly imagine yourself there and all the sights, the sounds, how you were feeling, what you were doing, the connections you felt, all of that's neatly filed away in our hippocampus. But when we experience trauma in our childhood, it doesn't get that far. It sits in the amygdala and then we can get triggered so easily and not even know it. So I was being triggered so much throughout my life and didn't even know it. It's interesting because I think when we talk about trauma, we tend to talk about it in terms of capital T trauma, like big trauma. Absolutely. Um, it's like an inciting incident. You know, yes. a, a soldier gets blown up on a, on a road in, in, in combat. And, and, and so PTSD, like that's our understanding of it. And what you're saying, what I'm understanding is, like this is more of the the it, it, it's not one thing it's mm-hmm. it, it's 
I'd ca- I call it a thousand paper cuts. It's yes. not losing a leg, it's a thousand little paper cuts. That's right. And what happens too is uh, now that I've, um, you know, because I've started and I understand it, and the neurobiology really grabs me because I've done so much internal work and my physiological part wasn't changing. So I was like, I have to work with my brain and body and breath in order to heal. But what I came to understand was is this is generational. So the trauma, the complex trauma and how our brains have been developing is being passed down for generations. So my mother, I didn't know till my mother was six weeks away from passing away that she held on to all this trauma from her mum when she was carrying me and all of her life, which she ended up dying of breast cancer, secondary liver, because she held all this stuff in. So if you get hold of a book called The Body Kicks the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, he goes into how he studied the brain scans of um, veterans with PTSD and how he put together how our body holds on to all of this and causes us to have disease. So then when I looked at my mother's mother I went oh my goodness when she carried her children she had unresolved trauma because her mother abandoned four girls on a farm in the middle of nowhere and took off and I don't know my great-grandmother's story but for her to abandon four girls uh, in the middle of nowhere and no one knew if there was anyone there to look after them or not. What happened to her to cause her that much trauma that she left? So there's no blame. It's just seeing that multiple generations are passing on the genes. You know, it's called epigenetics. And as we become more intentional about how we live our lives, we also have to become more intentional about what's gone before us so that we don't sit in areas of shame and blame and, you know, oh, it's all my fault because it's not all our fault and it's not all their fault because we've only had this science for about five years. Hey there, it's Danielle and Justin. We'll get back to this week's show in just a moment, but we are super excited to share a brand new opportunity for you to invest in your marriage. I mean, you've got a good life, great kids, a nice job, a nice house, but you find yourself stuck in the roommate zone. Dun, dun, dun. You know the roommate zone, right? Oh, yeah. It's that place where you're wrapped up in the business of life and the busyness and missing real intimacy and connection. It's a lousy place to be. And eventually it leads to a crisis. And the truth is, isolation, that's the enemy. Every couple struggles sometimes, and we all need the coaching, resources, and community to come around and support us. Now, we realize not everyone can afford personal coaching or counseling. And so we wanted to make it super easy for everyone to be able to invest consistently in their marriage and get the coaching and the resources and the support they need 
and have some fun along the way. Of course, that's why we've created Legendary Marriage Tribe. You can get transformational life coaching, awesome online training and resources, and of course, a powerful community that will support and encourage you. So if you're ready to transform your marriage and your family forever, find out more over at legendarymarriage.com slash tribe. Now, back to the show. Is there a way for a person that did have childhood trauma to like rewire or rework their brain so that it does work like the other person? Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) she's sitting there asking this and like, well, is there a way that somebody (laughs) pointing at more like me? No, but I mean, Justin had, he had, said i mean there may be some tricky issues like on this podcast for him um i grew up in a very rosy rockwellian type of atmosphere rockwellian well you know (laughs) like referring to norman rockwell you know that half the people more than half the people who listen to this show don't know who that is norman rockwell great american artist Mm -hmm. kind of the the classic 50s version Mm -hmm. of life yeah nostalgic Okay, there we go. Yes. So I was just wondering, can a person that has gone through childhood trauma like rework their brain somehow? Absolutely. Uh, One of the things I've started doing is I run a group on Facebook called Trauma Informed Movement. And I teach people how we have... So it's an exercise class. Uh, I got permission off uh, people who do professional videos on YouTube for exercise and I said I want to run trauma-informed movement class because I realized that um, until our brain was comfortable with our amygdala and our prefrontal cortex and our limbic system staying in place together then we won't heal. So what what I did was I developed a system of breath work and how we move and what we have to, we retrain our mind to focus on our breath because when we're in hyperarousal or hypoarousal, uh, all that system goes offline. It doesn't work together. We can't make things logical. Our perception is just gone <laughs> and a number of other things, right? So what I did was as I developed this, I realised that my actual brain components were, it's like being in a game where they're actually all able to work together consistently and more and more frequently. And it's a great feeling to get your life back on track. Now, the other side of recovery is that we do need to process, be able to sit with our emotions and feel them and let them move through our body. And as we do that, it becomes easier not to go into hyper or hypo arousal as well. It's good to sit down and talk about what's happened, but they've shown science has now shown that talk therapy is pointless. Well, not pointless, but it's not the upshot of dealing with complex PTSD. So what we do is, so when people work with me, we develop personalized strategies that fit into their day-to-day life because everybody's life's different. And everywhere you look about complex PTSD, you, you will read how 
everybody needs something different. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So we have to be willing to do the internal work as well, but we don't stay there. We keep ourselves intentionally moving forward. Yeah, it sounds like this is, um, like you said, the exercises, this is like a daily thing. Like, okay, this is like, you know, we're doing our yoga in the morning. Like we're lining up our breath, we're doing all these things. Like, and that's going to set you up for success for the day. And I get what you're saying. Everybody is totally different. So maybe one person needs one thing and one person needs another. I'm wondering for you, I know you have quite a story about when this complex PTSD really came to a head, um, do you mind sharing that story with us? Not at all. Uh, it came to a head at a time in my second marriage where I felt unsafe. And I didn't know it at the time, but because that feeling of unsafe had been, you know, I was, let's just say, 44 at the time, had been so compounded throughout my life and hadn't been addressed, my whole being shut down. So I ended up bedridden for two and a half years. I was on multiple medications. I was mismedicated, overdosed by the doctors. And in one way, through no fault of their own, because they didn't know, okay, they didn't have this information. And in the end... I had to say, look, what am I going to do? And as I was lying in bed one day, I thought, I'm not getting any better. I'm getting worse. And I was really quite concerned about that because I'm a mother with three kids and their father had died during that period as well. Mm-hmm. So when I was lying in bed, I just, and by this stage, I'd lost all my ability to walk. So I had a full-time carer. I couldn't walk unaided, I couldn't talk, so I had no verbal ability. I could think and I could see what was going on around me, but I couldn't verbalise my needs or what was happening at all. And, you know, on and on it went. And it was a really hard time. And and was that, like, physiologically, like, I can't walk, I can't talk, like, there there, was that... Was that a a symptom of it or was that like a a way of the body kind of trying to draw your attention to what was going on? Like how would you describe it? It was definitely being triggered and frozen in hyper or hypo arousal. Yeah. Um, you, You know, the fight, flight and freeze mode. Well, the freeze mode can be so impactful that we actually are really shallow breathing and my whole system is just frozen because uh, I went into my second marriage believing I'd married a Christian, that we'd always work on our marriage. Um, You know, I love God with all my mind, heart and soul and I just, I really believed that we could make things work but in one moment of feeling unsafe, it shut my entire system down wow. to protect me, yeah. basically. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a cumulative yeah. that led to that. Yeah. So it's an accumulation of four and a half decades wow. of undiagnosed trauma. And yeah, I just got shut down totally. I can't even imagine yeah. just feeling like, Basically, it almost sounds like you're trapped in your own body. Like you said, you have just 
thoughts, but you can't express anything. And did that feel like it was driving you even more mad that like, I can't even tell somebody what's going on or anything? Yeah, but you can't speak. And then the doctors have you on so much medication that you can't, you can't even go to that stage of thinking this is frustrating. So it wasn't until a neurologist said, you know, they've got you on five and a half times the recommended dosage of the epilepsy medication, which caused the symptoms of me having bipolar. So then I was medicated for bipolar, which I never had. And, And they were just zonking me out. And it wasn't until about a year later I went back to her and I said, I need to go back on the epileptic medication that I was on since I was 15 and I've never had a problem in my life whatsoever. And then it took about another year after that, I think, well, good seven months or so, before I was able to be alert enough to lie there and think, I haven't been able to speak to the Lord for oh, I don't know, um, over two years now, right, I need my life back. So I wasn't even able to consciously think in a manner that I could have my quiet time with the Lord. I was just zonked, gone, yeah. Now, how did you eventually come out of that freeze mode? What I did was I, I'm very determined <laughs> And I went, okay, if anyone's going to do this, it's me. And I had no idea at the time how unwell I was, like zero. And so what I began to do, because I couldn't talk when I first came out of it, my my mind was clear enough, I I went, okay, I'm going to go out to the computer. And this is like 11 years ago now. And uh, I got on Facebook and because I had studied with and had a whole bunch of information about relationships and families and all sorts of things, I was able to help other women who were in abusive relationships. And I began to regain my language by being able to sit at the computer on the keyboard and think about, oh, what's that word that goes there? And if I couldn't remember the word, I could use a thesaurus online and and look for a word, you know what I mean? So the day that I made it up and down the hallway four times, as in out to the computer and back again, and then I'd have to have a sleep and then make it back to the computer again. I did that four times in one day and I went, I just know I'm going to make this somehow, but I know I'm going to make this because I've been able to do that four times today. Yeah. Wow. So actually it propelled like helping other people like propelled you to get better. Yes. Yes. And now this is the irony of it. This, I was 11 years ago. Now science even will tell you that if you're prepared to help other people it will help you become well too. So that's why I run my Facebook recovery group on. We get there in the safest environment, safe emotional environment, and we begin to help other people. We begin to cheer them on. We begin to say, well, you know, this is what happened for me. If that helps you, great. And because I had this, you know, that's what I developed back then, Mm -hmm. I went, if this is going to help me get well, then let's get in there and be each other's greatest cheer squad. 
Wow. And so you said you started helping. It's very powerful. Yeah, uh, I I can only imagine. It sounds amazingly powerful and life saving for for a lot of people. Like yeah. I'm sure you, in the process of this whole lifetime of dealing with depression and complex PTSD, you know, people can contemplate suicide. Like, do I even want to be living anymore? And like, how Absolutely. you just keep moving on, but I'm wondering how do you move? I know you're a big advocate of moving from recovery to remission. And I feel like yeah. recovery is a very like helpful, common word where people are like, well, I'm in recovery. And that means they're better. I mean, that's always what I kind of thought. Um, is, is there something beyond recovery? Absolutely. Remission is when we've been symptom-free for three months, but because this is actually like having a brain injury, so different parts of our brain, like our amygdala is swollen, our hippocampus is shrunk, and as far as we know, that can never change. So recovery to remission is setting an intent that I am going to do whatever it takes to live my best life. So I've, I've experienced the worst of what life can throw at you, absolutely. But I am going to choose now to live my best life. So it's making an active decision that I am going to be able to self-reflect and say I can see this habit, this pattern happening, right, I'm going to actively participate in it. And the best way I can describe this to you is so we all know what it's, well, we don't all know what it's like to have an anxiety attack, but we all have the concept and understanding that if someone's triggered, uh, you know, you're full of perspiration, you're terrified, and it runs through your entire body. So we call it a trigger. Depression is the same. They're only just learning this in the last, I think I saw two years maybe, is that, and I've experienced where I've felt the depression trigger go off in my brain. So what I do now, what, it's very subtle depression. So it takes can take a couple of days to realise that the trigger's gone off and has put into action all the biological components that go with it. And it's different to having the anxiety trigger go off. The anxiety or panic attack trigger is very immediate, okay? But the depression trigger is very subtle. So it's like, it's like it creeps in very slowly. And so, in the weirdest, weirdest yeah. moment. Like, exactly. like, like experiencing a, a great, a great, you know, adventure, a great moment in a relationship or, uh, you know, a, a success and accomplishment. And then. Exactly. But when we look at it from the perspective of our neuro wiring and we go, that's a trigger from an emotional incident that I haven't been able to process in the past. I can know now that it doesn't matter why or what it is because I'm the adult and I can manage it. So what am I going to do? So this weekend that happened for me and I didn't know because I was out with my son meeting his girlfriend. I went out with my son to the movies 
And all the time, and this, and you literally can feel happy at the same time. And you're like, why do I feel happy? But like, I want to escape from here, you know? And it's my normal area. I'm not doing anything different. And then I had to go and uh, volunteer in an international ministry on Sunday morning. And I'm like, this is bizarre. Why am I like this? And this is how subtle it is that even though you've been dealing with it for years, you cannot recognise it immediately. And it wasn't until I woke up Monday morning and looked back over the last couple of days, I went, oh, my goodness, this depression triggers hit me and it wants me to shut down. I went, no, I'm not doing this. So what I did was get up and I went to gym. I, I do gym and I do the trauma-informed movement. So I went to gym and I went, I'm going to do only as much as I feel that I can. So we don't want to trigger the trigger, we, but we want to show our body and our brain that we can do this, we're safe, I can manage this. So I lasted 10 minutes. Then I came home, I put on the video for the trauma-informed movement and, again, I was very aware of my body. I did it for 10 minutes. The next day I was able to do it for 20 minutes each. And then today I did 25 at the gym and 20 minutes on the trauma-informed movement. And I'm here talking to you guys and happy as. So we have to be willing to have this intentional approach to recovery in order to keep moving towards remission. I feel like there's probably a place where you feel powerless to like fight the depression. I mean, Justin battles depression. Do sometimes you feel like it's a powerless kind of place where you're like, I can't do anything to stop it. It's just going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd call it more in the anxiety kind of a place than depression. But but mm. for me, in both cases, um, when that, when I am in that triggered place, it's it's like I I I, I can't breathe or there's like I can't communicate. Like I, I just I can't I can't say, pardon me, Danielle, would you take a moment to help me <laughs> through this thing by step one step two step three step four mm-hmm. and in the process yeah you know blah blah blah, blah use the somatic response yeah to- <laughs> like, there's just there's just nothing i'm i'm just trying not to not to explode to like spontaneously combust <laughs> absolutely you see when you look at it that this is your brain being triggered and you go, right, so what strategies would you put into place? And, you know, you've got your wife there, so you would say, sorry, Danielle, you've got Danielle there, and you would say, okay, there, was, there would be two things I'd recommend is one, both of you on your phones have the ground, I'll send you through the grounding technique, and when you have that, you could just show it to her on your phone or you could and you go, right, let's do this together. Do the grounding technique together. And the other thing too is you could make up an actual meme for yourself. So get on Canva and make a meme for yourself to say, this is what's happening. I'm in that state again and this is what I need from you. So use technology to communicate what you need when you can't verbally communicate, when you can't actually get it across. Mm. and Danielle can have the same thing on her phone and say she can say to you 
is do you need me to do this with you now? Not the grounding technique, but whatever you need, because you know you, what, what would you need in that particular moment in time? What do you need, Danielle, to help you with? So for some people, I definitely you just touch me. I just need, I need that, Linda. That is yeah. so helpful because in like sometimes, like you could say, okay, this is a stage seven. Like let's go into stage seven protocol. We are in DEF CON four. <laughs> well, but seriously, like sometimes yeah, seriously. He's, he's a, he's a physical touch guy. So sometimes he just tells me like, okay, just lay, lay your weight on top of me. And I'm like, okay. But sometimes if I would do that, he would be like, get off of me. Why are you laying on top of me? Like, it's not the particular situation that needs that. He's like, no, I just need you right now to like speak calmly to me or say a prayer over me or whatever it is. Like every situation can be different, but there's some similarities for sure. Absolutely. And imagine if you had a little, a meme, you know, picture words, etc. for each one of those and both of you had them so that when you were in DEF CON, Danielle could sit there and just this one and you can go. Big flashcard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Get creative with it's it. Like going to the eye doctor. Better or worse? <laughs> click, click. Exactly. Better or worse? Well, you know what, though? This reminds me of something that we made for our daughters. Like, we have a little chart that talks about, like, this is what we do at bedtime, or this is what we do to get ready for school in the morning. This, this, and this. And, um, like, uh, we could have... Yeah. I mean, it's not a... It's kind of funny, but it, it's serious, though. It would yeah. probably really help us, for sure. Yeah. You sometimes say, like, honey, just so, rub my back. And I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't I know. Mean, yeah, and that, that's, that's, that's good. And it's, like, in, in the place of being triggered and, and at DEFCON 1. Yeah. <laughs> or 4. Which one's worse? Def, I think, yeah. DEFCON 1 is worse. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. Uh, in that place, have it, being able to figure out how do we communicate, how do you how do you know what to what to do for somebody to to help them navigate it is great. I, I'm I'm really curious about like my daily prayer is 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 for complete and total healing and restoration from depression and anxiety, like permanent period uh, over. And 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 you know I hold that in prayer. And I'm curious, like, obviously working with a coach, working with a counselor, um, is essential to that. And, you know, if, if you're in a place where, where you, where this conversation is resonating with you and you, uh, and you're going, "Mm, this, this feels a little too familiar, then please reach out to Linda uh, reach out to us. We can we can connect you with with Linda or or another coach or another counselor. We've yeah, we've got several awesome. several people in our circle that that can help. But what are some of the the kind of touchstone things that people can start trying to do to to um, to create that remission? Okay, one of the first things I did, and this was about six or seven years ago now, I it's a combination of science and a combination of 
biblical information. Science says our optimal breathing is five seconds in and five seconds out. Now, remember, this is back in the days when I had no idea of my diagnosis. I'm just seeking everything to be well. Mm. And then the biblical translation of the Lord's Prayer in Hebrew, so our translation is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Hebrew translation of that is my Father who is as close as the air I breathe, I stop and become aware of you. And I put both of those two things together and I went, if optimal breathing is five seconds in and five seconds out and my father is as close as the air I breathe, then I'm going to do five seconds in, five seconds out breathing and I'm going to just repeat that over and over to myself, the beginning of the Hebrew version of the Lord's Prayer. And I would do this religiously for one minute every single night when I got into bed because sleep is a massive issue in mental health. Like going to sleep is a massive issue. And I would do this. I would do things like place books on my chest so I become aware of my body when I was doing this breathing and when I could do it for one minute I'd increase it but the key to it is you've got to be willing to feel the breath go into your body so you're building that internal awareness of your breath that alone started changing my whole trajectory was the breathing and that information okay that is um, it, it sounds so like shocking and simple at the same time. But yeah. yeah, it's like every, anybody can do can do that, can breathe. But the discipline of actually doing what you're saying, like the five seconds in. It's interesting. Uh, the rise of breath work and meditation yeah. and yeah. Uh, even physical meditation like yoga which, which, you know, flow yoga is a, is a combination of breath work and physical movement and, and meditation. The rise of that in, in our culture in the U.S. over the last five years, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it, there's a certain kind of a zeitgeist to, to this. Like, so it's there and there's a spiritual element, element, there's a physical mm-hmm. element to it. There's a, an emotional element to all of it. And so uh, I just, uh, I'm. Embrace I'm, it, people. Yeah. Embrace yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like our spiritual journey is so unique and individual and we need to incorporate that. Science, scientists only last year found the spiritual part of the brain. So it's important that we use all of this information and use it with intent. Like I was so desperate to be well that I guess I, I sat back and went, I'm going to do this. Like I, For me, I put together different strategies for people as individuals because I know that I needed something different. Mm-hmm. And we all do. We all need something different 
and we need a different strategy, but it's our intent that drives us to want to be well and that we're in charge of moving our body, we're in charge of where we go, how that happens, how it unfolds. Mm. Yeah. Linda, I feel like we I, I want to take like a Linda like I know. download into this my is brain. Like the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Linda, oh my gosh, it's been so great having you on the yeah, show. Yeah, when I, when are you coming back? I know. Like, <laughs> Like well, for, apparently it's going to be at eight o'clock at night in Texas is whenever yeah. like, I'm going to need a coffee in the afternoon. I know. All right. So Linda, Absolutely. how can our listeners find you and what you're up to? And I understand you have a free resource that we can tap into. Uh, they can find me on, on my webpage. They can find me. Uh, oh, and on my webpage is a free download for trauma and loneliness. So it addresses your core beliefs. So how to get into your core beliefs because our thoughts and beliefs need to be accessed and changed in order to keep moving forward. Um, And they can find me on Facebook easily uh, under Linda Meredith as well. Mm, Linda, it has been a distinct honour to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's just, it's been a real honor to be here. Thank you. All right. So uh, obviously we, we warned you at the top of the show. There's some serious themes that we're dealing with in this episode. And I want to take a minute to, to just bring it back to the relevance to marriage. Um, again, so many times we, we've worked with couples over the years where, they're going, uh, just the marriage isn't right. Like married the wrong person. Things are screwed up. Like it's, 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 it's not me. It's her. It's not me. It's him. It's, and the fact of the matter is, excuse me. The fact of the matter is the first place and really the only place that you can really look to begin to make your marriage better or your life better is in the mirror. And so I, I want to, I want to just encourage you to do some of that work. You know, I, I, I had a call with Linda after this interview and just had a chance to process through some things. And I've been looking back at my story. Yeah. Um, and we use this, this tool called story work to, to kind of look at what has been the ups and downs of life and, and what have, what's been at work in there. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's really important it's really important to, to know what's going on internally, to do your inner work. Yeah. I think it's, it is the job, the mission, the purpose of life is to be, is to be processing that and, and doing that work so that, I, so that we can show up as more of the brilliant and the, 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 the amazing human beings that we all are and less of the raving jerkwads. Yeah, because the truth is when you get married... I mean, you're marrying the best, like most, like yeah. wonderful version of your spouse that you, you fell can in marry. love with that, right? Like you saw the good that, stuff, yeah. That amazing, brilliant, beautiful, strong, courageous, compassionate, kind, generous person. And when you start sharing four walls together, and reality and they sets fell in love in, with you with that stuff in you, and things start you things happen where you get triggered and you start looking at your past. So yeah, I, I love what you're saying, Justin. Do the work so that you can bring your best version of yourself to your marriage. And don't be afraid to work with a good, 
counselor or a good coach. Like there, there's, there's so much stuff that just, you can't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Right. It's, it's just silly. And what it actually does is propagate the, the trauma in some ways. Yeah. So don't let shame and fear and insecurity hold you back from the healing and the freedom that is possible for you, for your marriage, for your kids, for your for your business, for your employees, for your team, for your community, for the world. And I noticed that too, when Linda really started to do her healing is when she was able to get on the computer and reach out to another community. And there were people there that were in the same boat and she was teaching them. And um, so, yeah, I like what you're saying, not doing it alone. The fact of the matter is, uh, and this will be the last thing I'm going to say on it. The fact of the matter is we are all hurt people. Sure. We all have trauma in some way in our lives. And if we don't look to, to unearth that and heal through it, we end up sharing it and spreading it. Hurt people hurt other people. Mm-hmm. So do your work. All right. So now the talk about it segment of the show. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. All right. So here's your conversation starter question. What is a trigger from your past that shows up today in your marriage? Mm. We told you this episode was going to be a tricky one. (laughs) All right. So that could be a, a pretty deep conversation there. But you know what? That's it for today's show. Yeah. Hey, what's one thing that stood out to you from today's show? Let us know over in the free Legendary Marriage community on Facebook. We're talking about this episode and all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more. Uh, So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 138. Hey, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.